Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. John 17, we are in part two of a series called One. It kind of came about, I don't know, November, December. I was trying to pray and see what January would do. Starting off a new year, that's a big deal. What, what is it, God, that we position ourselves for the year? How do we come out of the gate, if you will? I know we finished strong in 2018. I believe there's some momentum. There's things, obviously, we want to leave behind, things we want to begin and set into place. Uh, you're getting some things in order, I hope. You're, you're looking at resolutions or whatever that looks like for you and, and getting things in the proper order uh, and what God has for you. In fact, we kicked it off last week with that in mind. The idea of becoming one, become one with God's purpose, become one with God by walking in his plan and purpose. Or we said it this way, get in alignment with your assignment. And so if you haven't had a chance or you weren't here, then go back and watch it, please, uh, on, on our archive messages. Um, and always remember, if you can't make it out that morning, whether you're not feeling good or you're out of town, you can either log on during service or you can go back another time and watch it. And make sure you let everybody know, friends and family, that they can log on and watch the services as well. And then today we're looking at another aspect of one. We know we're one with God through not only through our relationship with him from a salvation experience, but then when we walk out our life in line with this plan, we're in alignment or we're one in that capacity. And today we're going to talk about being one with each other, not from, the, not from the big church standpoint, but from small groups. As you've heard next week and the following week, Group Link will be out there getting ready to start groups for this year, like kick off in February. Now's the time to start looking at your schedule, talking to your family, uh, making adjustments. It's worth making adjustments to get in a group and connect with people. And I'll share a little bit about that this morning. So let's take a look and go ahead and turn to uh, John 17 for me. You can turn to John 17. And while you're turning there, I think I already told you that. Let me set this up for you. The book of John is a phenomenal book. And if you're looking to just start, I just want to start reading the Bible. Where should I start? I'd say start in John. And then you're encouraging people to pick up the Bible this year. Tell them to start in John. Half of John is really based on the last week of the life of Jesus. His last week on the planet, you'll find about half of that, half of that book is based on that life. We're going to look at five chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 this morning. And uh, our theme is from verse, uh, chapter 17. But those five chapters talk about the last night of his life. So basically, it really covers just a few hours. So five chapters dedicated to just a few hours of Jesus' life. And then 18, 19, 20, 21 talk about his death, burial, and resurrection. But, but here's five chapters that talk about the last few hours of Jesus' life. It's during the Last Supper. It's that last night. And then they go to the garden. And the next, he's taken that night. And then the next day, he's crucified on Good Friday. So it's a Thursday night. And it's amazing to me because I'm thinking about the life of Jesus. I'm thinking about these are his last few hours, really, on the planet, so to speak. And he's, uh, he could do anything he wants. He's trying to make the biggest impact possible. It's his last engagement with people. And so you might think, how's Jesus going to spend his last few hours? You might think he's going to gather five to 20,000 people again on a hillside, right? I mean, my goodness, maximum impact. Let's get the biggest crowd possible. Let's give them one more parable. Let's give them one more teaching. Or you might think he'll just find somebody in need and just, the Bible says when he gathered, crowds would gather and he'd heal all that were sick. Maybe, maybe a healing crusade. Maybe he's going to empty out the hospitals, if you will. Maybe he's going to raise the dead and people will be talking about that for years. Or maybe, maybe he's going to go and open blind eyes and you might think he'd do that. But, but it's interesting to me what Jesus chose to do his last few hours. He chose to do it with his small group. He chose to spend it with 12. And I think there's a purpose for that beyond what we might understand as we dig into the scripture today. I think Jesus understands, but probably the most effective way to reach this world wasn't by through the crowds, but it was through the small group. It was through engaging and investing in life together with a group of people that you could help each other walk through life in a way that will impact lives around you. 
And so Jesus himself, I think, was illustrating, modeling the importance. And we know that the last things that are said, really, before I go, I want you to hear this. Those are important, but I think the timing of this is important, too, as he gathered his disciples together. Uh, He took time to invest in them. Jesus always believed that if he poured his life into these 12 disciples, he could make a bigger difference, a bigger impact in the world than any size crowd. And so we believe that to be the same thing here at Tree of Life, even though we're a large church and we are. And I hope we continue to grow and we can do more things for the kingdom of God. But at the same time, I believe we need to be a small church. We need to have opportunity to connect on a smaller scale because let's just be honest, it's easy to hide in a crowd. You could be in a crowd and feel alone. We all know that. But let me say this, you can, you can hide in a church of a hundred just as easy as you can in a church of a thousand. And so it's something that within us that we need to get out of our comfort zone and connect. But we believe the same thing that Jesus believed, that the difference really, impact really, life change really happens in the context of doing group together, doing life together rather with a group of people. And so we're, we love the big service and we'll always be about that and it's necessary and important. But I really believe lasting change, real impact happens in a much smaller version of the big meeting of the church. It happens in groups. And so we need to have a place that we belong beyond just a church, but with a group of people. And listen, when Jesus is teaching, if you just study his teachings, when he's teaching, he's trying really to avoid the crowd. He's not seeking the crowd. Understand the crowd is seeking Jesus because the word says, when word of him got out, when they knew he was there, then he would, he would try and, and replete, re, kind of retreat to a secluded place or, or, or connect with someone doing, uh, praying for somebody here. But then everywhere this crowd would come. And so it's interesting, after him speaking and he would teach in parables to the crowds, you watch this in scripture, he'll pull then his disciples together. So he had this crowd moment, but he never missed an opportunity then to pull his disciples together and really then explain or process what happened. Now understand, he wasn't able to do that with the crowd. He taught the crowd, which we can do on Sunday mornings, but then he always took time to connect and really process and tell his disciples, now this is what this means. In fact, when you look at the greatest sermon that we, we call the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Mount of Beatitudes, it talked about Beatitudes being blessings, talked about all that. There's thousands were gathered on the hillside and we saw that place in Israel and you can picture thousands gathered on the hillside, but the Bible says that he gathered around him his disciples, and they sat around him at his feet, and then the crowd sat beyond that. And even though it seemed like he was teaching the crowd, he was speaking to his disciples, and the crowd were there hearing and and believing as well. So Jesus was always looking for the moment to impact, to talk to, to do life with a small group of people, and he knew the biggest impact would come from their lives being changed through the dynamic of groups. And so I want to encourage you in that today, and I want to look at the scripture and see what we find in the last words of Jesus. He's going to talk about this, and, and he's going to, uh, again, express the importance of things that happen in a group in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. 17 is our starting point because it's the foundation for our series. He says this in verse 21, that all of them may be one. Now, we caught the last, as Jesus is beginning to pray, he's praying to the Father. He says, I pray that all of them, all of who? He's not praying that everybody on the planet. He's praying that his disciples... His small group, he's praying, I'm praying that my group would be one. I mean, there's 12 of them right now, right? I'm praying that they would be one, act as one, come together, one heart, one mind, one purpose, love each other through our differences and be one. And he's also praying for followers or or believers, if you will. I'm praying that all of them may be one. Why? Just as you and I are in each other, may they also be in us, may they be one, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So really the power of being one with God, but also one with each other, really reflects and represents God to this world. 
And there's a lot of things that we can do in church, and there's a lot of uh, crusades and a lot of outreach and a lot of things we do, and they're necessary and important. But you know the biggest witness to the life, love, and power of Jesus is the unity of the people of God. Do you know what speaks louder than anything that we can say or any other thing out there about who God is, is how his people walk together as one? And really, that the, re- the reason why it's such a struggle we see so much division, and we're going to talk about that next week, diversity. In fact, I think it was, uh, it was Martin Luther King perhaps said that, that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. But when we come together in unity, not just as a big group and in, in small groups, that really speaks of the love of the Father, especially in such a divisive world. And we all would agree, at least in my lifetime, I've never seen the world so divided. In my lifetime, maybe some of those have lived longer has experienced other things. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, when we come together like that, it really speaks that, that I have come from you. Uh, verse 22 says this, I've given them my glory. I've given them what they need, just like you gave me, that they may be one. So we have the ability to walk as one, just as he and his father are. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So we come together as God intended to be like Jesus. Then the world will know the result of that, that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved them. And so I love this idea of unity and coming together and the power just beyond the impact that it has on us, but the way that it speaks to the world about the love of our heavenly father. And so in these five chapters, he talks about two things. He talks about the person and power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you another just like me. And so we need to understand it's important to have that relationship with the Holy Spirit, get as close as we can. And he talks about the power of relationships. He talks about his life being in a group. And so John 13, let's now go and look at these five chapters and get five reasons why it's important for you and I really to connect in this group because Jesus really is laying this out there for his group, his disciples, and then therefore all of us. So John 13, verses one through eight says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come. He knew that he was gonna have to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, his own, his group, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Again, speaking to his time on the earth being over. So what did he decide to do? Because he knew his hour had come, his time was up, he'd be returning to his father. So what did he decide to do? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Verse five, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is very interesting because this is obviously, we know that Jesus washed the feet of disciples, which we would say that, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's neat. That's kind of not a big deal, perhaps, to us in a sense, because we understand now the dynamic of foot washing, and it's powerful. Believe me, it is a powerful experience. But understand back in that day, it was common to have their feet washed. Because they'd be on the road, they'd be walking places and they'd have open-toed sandals or maybe barefoot. And you can imagine back in that day, walking on the same dirt roads that the animals were (laughs) walking on or walking behind a group of animals or whatever that looks like. And things could get really nasty and really dirty down at the feet. And so when they've come into a place, what the first thing they do is have their feet washed. And usually that was relegated or delegated to the lowest of the lowest servant or maybe the one who got in the most trouble. I don't know, punishment, you're gonna be the foot washer today. And so when the disciples saw Jesus all of a sudden get up and he put the towel around his waist and he knelt down to wash their feet, it created this moment 
that Jesus was trying to create with them. And, and we're, gonna, we're gonna walk this out again here. And so here he goes to this. And he says this. He came, verse six says this. He came to uh, Simon Peter who said, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. Because again, everybody knows that that's relegated to the, the, the lowest servant that there is. It's not a very fun thing or, or noble thing to do, if you will. And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but you later will understand. And he says, Peter says this, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. He was uncomfortable with it. It was awkward. Jesus answered, unless I wash, you have no part with me. And I love this passage, this picture that Jesus paints because foot washing, again, was something that wasn't uh, what, what people would do other than the lowest servant because it wasn't very glamorous. It was, you know why? Because you had to get up close and personal and see what was between their toes. But Jesus was saying something to you and I. He was saying, we all need a group of people that were willing to get up and close and personal and see what's between their toes. And Peter's response to that awkward moment as our response is many times to the awkwardness or uncomfortableness or getting in a group of people is no, I don't want this because here's what we're good at church. Church people are really good at this. So we'll come in on Sunday morning and we'll walk through the door and someone will say, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Hey pastor, I'm blessed and highly favored. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Amen, hallelujah. It's gonna be a great day today. When on the way to church, you are beating your kids over the back seat. Sit down back there. You better be quiet. You better not quit messing around. Or, and then they get out of the car and all of a sudden they're telling their kids, okay, you're going to children's church. If I hear that you've been biting or fighting, you think it's bad now, it's gonna be really bad when you get home. You better raise your hands in worship and you better put the Jesus money in the offering. And then you get out with your wife who you hadn't talked to all the way to church because you had an argument the day before. Maybe you even slept in separate couches or rooms or whatever, but you get out of the car and you say, all right, all right, I know that, man, we're just, we're in a fight right now, but let's just act like everything's good. We don't want anybody to know. Can we just do that for a while and then we'll go home? So we have people come in every day all the time saying, I'm blessed and highly favored. And I just want to say, you're lying. <laughs> you're lying. That's not true. You know, the, the, the thing about that is that it's what's funny. I know that happens because I've been there. I've done that. You know, I mean, just to be honest with you, my, my family and my wife, we take separate cars to church. <laughs> we do. And sometimes there's four of us, there's four cars from the Duncan family here on the campus. Can I tell you, we are so smart that we have 1,500 parking spaces. We have one for each of you. So don't worry. Don't stay home when you're arguing. Come to church anyways. You need to get here, right? We have a parking space for everybody. So don't stay home. The reality is we all need to come to a place that we will let people know what's between our toes, metaphorically, of course, right? And so the modern day application of this is that someone needs to have a close look into your life where you show the most personal and dirtiest areas of your life. And so you don't show it to everybody, but somebody needs to see it. And so you might ask, why is that so important? And and as Peter's here, and and that's the question he had, I don't want to do this. And Jesus says even that you don't understand it. And Peter, again, saying no, because he didn't want to feel awkward or uncomfortable like that. And again, a lot of us would respond that way. And a lot of us would say no, but I understand that Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, verse eight, we can put that up there. Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. That seems pretty harsh, but you know what Jesus was saying? Unless you let me get down here, and see what's between your toes, you have no partnership. You have no partners, Peter. And you're saying, Peter, you need, you, none of us can do life without partners. Well, we all need partners that can look and see what's going on between our toes, if you will. And, and, and he's saying that, that you need to get and really stay connected. And, and the last thing, think about this for a second, the last thing Jesus is emphasizing in the last two hours or whatever of his life, before he goes to the cross, he, he's not only modeling, he's, he's telling all of us the thing we need to do is have partners in this life. 
We need to have people that know what's between our toes, if you will, and so that somebody is seeing that and somebody is experiencing life with us and that intimacy there. And saying, Peter, we need partners. You have to have a place where everybody in that group knows what's between your toes, a place where you go beyond the awkwardness, where you take off the mask and you say, I'll let you see. You need a place where you can become one with a group of people. And so the question is this, why? And Jesus tells us this in 13, 14, 15, 16. He emphasizes unity. Each chapter has a partnership message in it. So let's take a look. This one night, these last few hours of his life, the power of it. So number one is to serve one another. We need that partnership. We need to be in partnership with a group of people to serve one another. And I know that we hear this all the time. Now you're going to hear about serving and everybody needs to get plugged in somewhere. And I hope every time I'm up here, I talk about serving in some capacity because it is so important. But let me say this today. Sometimes you need to be served. Sometimes you need to be served. I mean, we won't admit it, but the reality is there are times in our life that we need somebody to serve us. And you know when we need to be served? It's when all hell breaks loose. And believe me, it does in all of our lives. It's true, it does. And God forbid that you go through a situation in life and no one really knows what's going on inside of you to help you. See, everybody not only needs to serve, but they need to be served from time to time. So look what Jesus said going on in thirteen, in chapter, uh, chapter 13 and verse 12. He says this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. He says this in 13, listen to the wording. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Verse 14, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You know what he's saying? He's like, he's talking about the formal formality of the relationship. He's talking about, I am your teacher. It's right to call me that. I am Lord. It's right to call me that. But now that I've washed your feet, listen, we need to have another relationship. It'd be like you guys, you calling me Pastor Don, and that's right for sure. And Pastor Don, or me going and calling you Mr. Barkley or Mr. Bustos or, or Mr. Brubaker or having a relationship based on their title or based on what they do. And Jesus is saying, it's not a place of formality, it's a place of familiarity. He's saying, what I'm doing by seeing what's between your toes and what you allowing me to see what's between my toes or whatever, what I'm doing there is I'm going from the formal relationship to the familiar relationship. And all that we would just not come and go to church and we would know that's Mr. So-and-so or that's the pastor or this and that, but we would create or invest ourselves in a group rather where we go from the formal to the familiar so we can allow people to take a look at our life and we can take a look at theirs. He goes on to say this then in verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You should do what I've done for you. I I love that picture of Jesus about serving And Jesus decided not to spend his last night in front of the masses teaching or healing, but modeling a lifestyle for you and I to live, to get connected to a group, a small group of people. And all we know to do is facilitate that. All we know to do is create groups. And listen, we can only create groups that we have leaders for. I appreciate the the testimonial that you heard on the screen. And if there's not a group there and you're seeing gaps, if you will, or whatever, maybe it's because you're supposed to lead it. And it's not as intimidating as you think because we will help you, we'll resource you, we'll support you, we'll encourage you, we'll help you, teach you, train you to just get a group of people together where you can take the masks off or the socks off and you can do life together. So you can be in partnership with some people. And let me tell you what will happen in those moments. I have permission. 
And let me tell you what happened from this late. I remember it wasn't that long ago that Carmelita, she went in for kind of a routine uh, procedure in the hospital and things went terribly, terribly wrong. Worse than she ever thought. She was in there longer than she thought. And really there was moments that things were just hanging in the balance and she had people praying. I remember when Jessamine and I went to the hospital and I walked into the waiting room and in the waiting room must have been, I don't know how many tree lifers were sitting there in the waiting room. <laughs> and I walked in, I was like, Whoa. and they looked up at me and they didn't say this, but I looked at me, I could look on their face and I'm going to say like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and this is kind of that look. And, and in that moment, I want to say, well, I'm the pastor. <laughs> And I could just feel in a sense they were, they, weren't, they, weren't, they were glad that I was there, but man, we got this covered. We got this covered and my, and my wife and I, and we greeted them all and we walked into Carmelita's room and there's things that we do because we've been to the, on hospitals a, a thousand times and we, know, we go in there in a moment. I know there's a white marker board on the, on the wall and, and I knew I was going to get the marker and write an encouraging scripture and I walked and looked over and there was already one on there. And then I thought, next thing that we tell everybody to do, you need to have a CD player or something or your phone or whatever that looks like today and have worship playing or healing scriptures playing because you, you, you need to feed your spirit man. Come on, you need to feed yourself the word of God. And, and before I could get, even get those things out of my, my mouth, I heard it playing in the room. And, and, then, and then as the nurse came in, we introduced ourselves and we go, oh yeah, we've met so many people from your church already. And I thought, that's how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work that way. And then I remember not long ago, uh, sweet, uh, your sister in the church, Caroline, her wonderful husband, Alan, uh, after a long battle, went home to, peacefully went home to be with the Lord. And I remember the story of that. And then she immediately called uh, Pastor Rob and Sherry and they got dressed and immediately went to their house. It wasn't a very long time before the call that they were there. And before they left the house, their group leaders walked in. Caroline's group leader walked in. And I thought, God, that is... That is what you're trying to explain to your body. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. He, he's talking about coming one, being in partnership with each other, where we're able to take our socks off, if you will, and, and be vulnerable in those moments. And yes, it's awkward, and yes, it's uncomfortable, but we all need to be in partnership, and that's how it's supposed to work. And thank God that they had partners. And the same time, it makes me sad and breaks my heart that there's people that don't. Thank God they had somebody that on the day they needed it most that would serve them. And it went beyond just that moment because then those groups, and, and we hear it all the time in group, I could share so many group stories about somebody needing something and, and the group coming together. There's times we don't even hear about it till after it's over at the church, but somehow we're programmed or trained to call the church. But listen, you need to call the group of people that you're doing life with. And let them come and we're hearing about meals being provided. And I will say, do we need to do this? No, it's already covered. Do we need to ask them if we need to do that? No, they already have it. They got more food than they could ever want. Everybody in the group brought a meal over on the same night or whatever. You know, it's like, thank God for partnership. Thank God somebody's there to serve them in their need. God forbid that you go through a day like that and no one knows. First Peter 4.10 says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received and every one of you have received gifts from God. Use them. They're given to serve others, not yourself. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, understand that yes, the gifts that, gifts that you have will help you in this life, but they were meant for other people. And as you serve other people, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added. See, everyone in this room has a gift someone else in this room needs. Next chapter, chapter 14, it teaches us about the power partnership. And Jesus talks in here about encouraging one another, that we need to encourage one another. Encourage means to lift the spirit up. On this night that Jesus is sharing with his disciples, his small group, if you will, he's been talking leading up to this moment about, I'm going to the Father, I'll no longer be here. 
that my time has come. And he's talking about dying. And disciples didn't want to hear that. They didn't want him to go anywhere. They wanted him to be their earthly king. And so it was kind of a, a kind of a sad night in a sense that they didn't want Jesus to be gone. They wanted him to set up his kingdom on the earth. John 14, one says this, do not let your hearts be troubled because they were in discouraged because of what Jesus had been speaking. But he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he begins, I didn't put it here because so many scriptures, you can read beyond that. Then he begins to tell them about heaven, the hope of heaven. He begins to encourage their heart to lift their spirits with heaven. And the next verses talk about, in my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He talks about, I will come again to get you so you can be with me. Can I tell you the greatest encouragement you can give anybody is the hope of heaven? And when you find yourself in that moment, you should encourage people in heaven because here's what we'll tend to do. We'll encourage people that things will turn around. Well, you know what? Things might not turn around. It'll get better. You know what? It might not get better on earth, but there's always hope of heaven. See, and the world can't give the hope of heaven, but you and I can give that. So in partnership, we can encourage each other on a regular basis. See, if you want to encourage someone, give them the hope of heaven. Encourage them by saying this, some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. Amen. To that place, there's no more sickness, sorrow, sadness, disease. We'll be with Jesus forever. And that's what Jesus did. We encourage him with heaven. Every one of us needs a place where we can get encouraged. Because when you're discouraged, you make bad choices, bad decisions. You don't make decisions out of this place of deep hurt emotion. You're not thinking right. You're not understanding right. That's why you need people around you to encourage you and help you in that. And can I tell you, we all need that. I need that at times. And I don't know if that like, oh, great, wow. <laughs> but I need that at times. And just this week, in fact, uh, something took place this week and it was kind of a downer for me. And I was just like, ah, oh, man, really? And all of a sudden that day, I got two texts. I got texts from people that I would consider in my group. Hey man, just had you on my heart today. God put you on my heart today. Just want to let you know, man, I love you. appreciate you. I'm going to text back, what did he put on your heart? What is he gonna, can you expand a little bit? <laughs> Another person, almost exactly identical, the same thing. And then there's been times when I've been in, in a worse place, if you will, and much greater things have happened. I've been in a, a, a much more discouraged, if you will, and then all of a sudden I'll get a phone call. I've gotten phone calls from people I consider in my group. Man, God was speaking to me today. Wanted me just, what did he tell you? He just wanted me to just encourage you. Keep, keep going. He's got this. I've learned a couple of things. Number one, I've learned that when I get a text... It's not as bad as I think it is. When I get a phone call, it's worse. <laughs> it's like being the pastor and you walk into someone's hospital room, they think, why are you in here? What are you here for? Am I dying? And they're not telling me. I just came in for my tonsils. What's going on? They sent you in here? It's like this whole thing about people in your life that God put there. And regardless of the situation, to encourage you when you're doing life with a group of people, when you've taken off the mask and you're in a partnership that in that moment, they will know because God will reveal to them because you're in a partnership and they will speak to you and they will encourage you in the Lord. We all need that. We need that on a regular basis. I feel bad for those who don't have that. Hebrews 3.13 says this, but encourage one another. When? I mean, let me it again. Encourage one another when? As long as it is called what? Today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness because the longer you go without encouragement, the more discouraged you get. All of a sudden, you go places in your heart you never should have gone. But here's the thing. When you come in here on Sunday morning, you could come in really depressed or discouraged or just hurt or just broken. And, and, and we pray that people come that way all the time. But I believe through our time of praise and worship, and I do my best through the word or whoever's up here to give you the word to encourage you and lift up your spirit. But can I tell you, it doesn't last a whole week. 
You need it every day. You got that right out of that scripture. You need it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can't live from encouragement Sunday and then Sunday. You can't go from meeting to meeting, moment to moment. You have to go every day, people encouraging you in your life in a partnership. But too many of us, because it's awkward, like Peter, no, it's awkward, uncomfortable. We'll just try and live Sunday to Sunday. And the Bible says you need it every single day. You need it every day. The truth is we need it daily, not weekly. We need to, Jesus tells us, produce. We can produce with another. We can produce more with another. And you know that. When you gather together with someone, you can accomplish more. And that's the beauty of big church. Let's talk big church for a moment because both are important. Big church is just as important as little church. You need to be a big church and a small church at the same time. That's why, let me say this, that's why we put such a value on groups that we did away with our Wednesday night services so we can give you a greater opportunity to connect relationally in a group because we believe in this teaching right here that Jesus is saying that great change, life change, lasting life change, daily encouragement, et cetera, all the things that we'll talk about and we'll talk about happen in the context of groups. And so we wanted to value that and try and encourage you to get in a group. Those things don't always happen in a service. And so we know that in big church, though, or big service, when you come together, it just exponentially increases things. Uh, we know that you can produce more. That's just on serve days when we have 100 people turn out for a serve day and we go to a project that we can accomplish more than we could by our individual selves. You know, when you come and you serve, serving is part of it. When more people serve, we can do more. When more people give, we can do more. But here's what will buy into the lie of the devil, that our, our serving or our giving does not matter. And by itself, you may reason or rationalize it not to, but can I tell you, number one, everything you give time and treasure is significant when given to God. And then when you give it combined with everybody else's giving, it exponentially increases the impact. So as you know, if you were here in December, we had a table out there where we were selling Christmas ornaments from Mexico to help with Christmas in the Colonia, our sister church was doing. And you may have walked up there and bought just one $10 ornament and thought, well, I'm going to buy an ornament. I don't know what difference it's going to make, but I'm going to put this on my tree. And can I tell you this, that you did that to over $1,100 that provided clothes and gifts for 300 children and meals for 100 families. And your one ornament... Your one ornament to you may have seemed insignificant, but when added to everybody else, it makes a difference. You produce more. I could give you all kinds of illustrations. When we, in October, when we started doing tacos there in the, in the food court, and we, we kicked it off, and we talked about the floods had hit the, the, the Marble Falls area, and we have a, a church there that is pastored by our former youth pastor. He's doing a great job, and, and they were really reaching out to help the community. So we, we did the tacos, and I don't know how much came in from tacos then, but over $1,000 came in, and the giving on top of that, you helped through just a taco, your $2 taco, added to everybody else's $2 tacos. You guys could eat a lot. All that added together. <laughs> All that added together helped flood relief for so many families for that church. Don't let the devil lie to you and say your time and your gift is not important. Because when we're together as a group, it increases what we can do exponentially. We can produce more together than we ever could by ourselves. And you're changing and touching lives, not only here in this area, but around the world. And so sometimes when that offering comes by and you think, man, I only got a dollar. Can I tell you that dollar given to God can make a difference? Can I tell you your dollar added to everybody else's dollar can change lives in India? Your dollar added to everybody else's dollar could feed an under-resourced family here in New Braunfels? So I remember my dad taught me this lesson growing up as a kid. My dad would put something in the offering plate every time it came by. Every time it didn't matter what, I've got to get something. 
because he knew every time God could use that to change a life added with everybody else's. So we know that in a group, we can produce more together than we ever could by ourselves. And so, you know, uh, food distributions happen because of that and things that we want to do into the future as well as what we're doing right now. But none of us can do all of that alone. We're better together so we can produce more. And that's what I love about church. And that's what I love about giving and serving when we come together like that. It matters to those. See, here's the thing. Our gift may not seem like it matters to us, but it matters to those who are receiving the help they need. And you never know that. And you just leave that up to God. But we all need to be a part of that. All of us do. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. That's what we say. No matter what, we all need to say, I'm in. And together we can make a difference. John 15, 4, using the chapter 15, he says this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, branches, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, we can do more together, but by yourself, you can't accomplish what you need to accomplish. We can produce more together. We need to get connected. Number four, why are we doing this? What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that we can protect one another. John 16, look at what Jesus tells us on this one last night, these final hours of his life. In this chapter 16, here's what he says in verse one. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Another translation says, I've told you this so you'll not go astray. The word astray in the Greek is the word scandalizo. It's where we get the word scandal. So Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this, my group of 12, because you need protection. Remember, he's talking about, I'm leaving and going to the Father. But before I go, I want you to connect together in partnership because partnership provides protection for each other. And he says this way, he says, it'll keep you from getting in a scandal. We don't want scandalizos happening in your life is what he's saying. We don't want no scandalizos going on. You need to get in a group. The word in the Greek literally means a snare in your path you cannot see. Scandalizo in the Greek literally means a snare in your path that you cannot see. And you may, believe me or not believe me on this next statement, I believe it to be true because the enemy in our life is seeking whom he may devour and always out there to steal, kill, and destroy. I believe at any moment of our life, there's a snare that has been set in front of us. I, I just, I do. And I'm not saying doom and gloom, but oh, I just think that's a reality. And there are times that you'll catch it with your eye and see it yourself, and there's times that you won't. You'll need another set of eyes. So Jesus is saying, you need another set of eyes to look at the path that you're going on. And because we've all been there, I just wish somebody would have told me. I wish somebody would have knew. I wish somebody else had another set of eyes on this. Maybe I wouldn't have made these mistakes. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm leaving. I've protected you. If you follow the scriptures out, I protected you. But now what you're going to do is get in a group. The Holy Spirit's going to be there to help lead and guide you. And then you're going to have your eyes together looking at each other's paths to help avoid the scandalizos in life. Because the enemy has set snares before you. And you won't see all of them, but someone, someone in your partnership will. And how many times have we, has somebody said something to us that has saved us from a bad mistake? Hey, I don't know if you see it. I mean, you're saying like, man, thank you. I didn't know. I didn't see it. I had no idea. I didn't know idea that relationship was going that way. I didn't know idea that online stuff would happen that way. You need somebody that has a set of eyes on your business trip. You need somebody that has a set of eyes on your internet. You need somebody that has a set of eyes on, come on, you name it. And if we keep going, we'll get everybody in here, right? We'll hit something that touches everybody's life. The office relationship, the things at school, the things that we do around the neighborhood. What's Jesus saying? He goes, listen, when you're in a partnership, you have a better chance of avoiding scandalizo 
and do it by yourself. Because in the words of Joe McGee, we're all one step away from stupid. <laughs> all of us. We can't see it all. And here's why, too. We get tired. We get tired. We get lazy. We get overwhelmed. We get stressed. We get depressed. We get overconfident. And we're all one step away. And so we need someone to help keep an eye out so we don't get into scandalizo. So how do you do that? You need a group. It's God's plan. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, message paraphrase. It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other's there to help. But if there is no one to help, tough. <laughs> Sorry. I love the message paraphrase. You need another to help you. Watch out for the snares in your life. Another translation says, if not, you're unprotected. So John 17, getting back to our original passage of scripture, is when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, And he gives us a fifth principle, and here's what it is. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. And I love this. Look at John 17, verse 1 and verse 9. He says this in verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. So Jesus now begins to pray. begins to pray for his disciples, and then he prays for his followers. And verse 9 says this. I pray for them. Them. I pray for them. Now notice, and another, another, well, if you read the passage, he says, I didn't come to pray for the world. It might say here, I didn't come to pray for the world. Jesus says, I came to pray for them. Who's he talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm here right now, Father, in the garden praying for my disciples. I, here's what he's saying. I'm praying. I'm calling out my small group's name before you right now. So what Jesus was saying is, I'm here praying for Matthew. I'm here, Father God, praying for Mark. I'm lifting up Luke. I'm lifting up John. I'm lifting up Peter. I'm lifting up Simon. I'm lifting up James. And I don't know all the 12, but that's all I got right there. And he's saying, I'm praying for them. And you know why that's so powerful? Because Jesus understood if he just would pray for his partners and then his partners would pray for their relationships and they would pray for their relationships and they would pray for their relationship. Jesus knew he couldn't pray for everybody's name. He couldn't call out everybody's name on the planet at one time, but he knew if he started with the 12 and then they started with the group and then they started with the group and eventually everybody could be prayed for. Let me say, let me, let me illustrate this way here. I would love to pray for every single, I'd love to pray. I would love to pray for every single, call every single one of your names out. Number one, I would be an impossibility, 1,500 plus, and it changes all the time. And some of you don't come back, new ones come all the time. It just, it is what it is. It's okay. It's an impossibility, but you know what I can do? I can pray for every member of my group by name. I can pray for every member of my staff by name. And then they can pray for everybody in their group and then everybody under them, if you will, and everybody in that circle. And I believe then everybody's name in this church can be called before the Lord every single day. And how great is it to know that every single day your name is lifted up unto God by somebody else? Because here's the truth. Some of us, we're, we're thankful that we had a praying mom. I'm thankful that I had a praying mom. Come on, some of us thankful we had a praying grandma. You wouldn't be on the planet if you didn't have a praying grandma. But listen, we need other people calling our name out to God every single day, and we need to be calling somebody else's name out to God. And we can't do it when it comes to the masses of humanity, but we can do it with our group or people we're in partnership with. You should at least know that you're in partnership with people that are calling your name up to God every single day. I love that picture. The people that care enough to pray about you every single day. Jesus knew if he could pray for his disciples, they could pray for the next group and they would pray for the next every day and then everyone would be covered by prayer every day. Your name should go before God every day. Those in a group should pray for others. And we, we teach, we train, and I hope that they do it. We, we, we encourage every group leader to call every person in the group up to the Lord every single day. And let me say this, everybody in a group to take it upon themselves to pray for everybody else in that group, be in partnership. At least one person in your group to call their name up. James 5, 16, here's why it says this. I'll close. Therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We want to call people's names up by name to God every day so healing can continue to come in their life. The prayer of a righteous person, a Christ follower, is powerful and effective. Okay, here's what we're talking about in one sentence today. Let me sum it all up right here. We is always better than me. And I know that may not be a good grammar, but that's good preaching right there. <laughs> we is always better than me. Jesus, on his final hours, I don't know if you get that, on his final hours, anything he could have done before he went to the cross, he spent time pouring into that small group, those that he was in partnership with. I think we need to take his example and be a little more intentional in our relationship circle and get on board, get involved. Here's what I want you to get out of this series. We go back to last week, this one, God plus you equals one when you're in alignment with your assignment. And then God plus, or you plus your group equals one. See, everything we're talking about has a sense of unity to it. And that's where not only the power for living and life comes from, that's where the witness, the greatest witness for who God is comes from. So this world will know that there's a God in heaven that loves them. Amen? All right, let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My heart, my hope in the series and the message today was for you and I to understand the importance of unity, be connected, united with God, not just with our salvation, but with our walk on the earth, and then connected with a group of people or in partnership with a group of people to do life together. Because there's times that we need to be served. There's times we need to be encouraged. There's times that we need people to help us have another set of eyes on things. There's times we need people to pray for us. We all need that. That comes from partnership. We can produce more together. We're stronger, better together than we are by ourselves. Don't let the enemy separate you. Don't live in that place of awkwardness where Peter said, no, that's awkward and uncomfortable. Push through those feelings. See the benefit and value of it that's greater than that. And God will do amazing things. But it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. That is the starting point for everything and everyone. None of what we talk about matters without inviting Jesus into your heart and your life. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.